Hi, I'm Carl Payton, pastor of Transformation Church RVA. I wanted to take a moment and thank you for checking out this sermon. I also wanted to bring to your attention something that is close to our hearts here. While our team has prayed that this message would stir within you a desire to know more about Jesus and be more like Him, our desire is that it would only be supplemental to your faith journey and not replace the church and faith community God has called you to be a part of locally. With that said, engage with us over the next 30 to 40 minutes as we dig into the Word of God proclaimed. Luke 15, 20 through 24. And it says, So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Brother Ian. If you haven't realized yet, I am glad that you're here. We are glad that you're here. Um, And I hope that most of you stay for our cookout afterwards. Our team has been hard at work um, preparing for you to be here. And uh, most importantly, uh, the Lord is here with us. He is the one we need. We are actually in a series in numbers, and I'm stepping away for it from a week to address you specifically, each one of you who have come today. Look at your neighbor. Say, he saw you coming. Yeah. When I was growing up, I grew up in Charles City County, Virginia. Anybody know where Charles City County is? Yeah, not many people know where it's at. It's out in the middle of nowhere. It's all woods. My family grew up there. And we lived in a a single wide trailer. Have you ever been in one of those? Oh, yeah. Ours was nice. Um, And I remember the day we upgraded to a, a double wide. I do. I remember I'm pulling it in there. I thought, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Look how big it is. Came in on wheels. It had like 78 wheels on it. Always wondered if it was because we were going somewhere. So you can imagine this trailer in the middle of the woods. And I remember one day, one night, and I was was real young. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to take off out of here. I'm a runoff, R-U-N-N-O-F-T. So, it's not hard to get a trailer window open. I don't know if you've ever tried, but it's not hard. Um, so I slid out of that window, 
but I had not accounted for one thing. It was dark. <laughs> had no flashlight. I was ill-prepared to run off. In the middle of the woods in Charles City County, Virginia. So I jumped, I slid right out, and it hurt. I think I scratched my back coming out of that window. Um, and I got out there, and I got maybe two or three steps from the house, you know, just enough for the porch light to disappear. And there was no light. It was cloudy outside. There was no moon. There was no stars. And every horror movie I had ever seen began to replay in my mind. I got turned around, and it was only the grace of the Lord I found my way back. I wandered just far enough into the woods, and it was so dark I couldn't see a thing. It was his grace that brought me back to the house. And to this day, I wait till the morning to take the trash out. I do not. Uh, don't judge me with your judgmental eyes. As if you don't go to the back door, open it, look both ways. And take a sprint to the trash can and back. Don't, don't look at me like that. Today we are going to talk about. A lot of you do that, don't you? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Today, my heart is heavy because I, uh, one of the backsides of ministry that people don't get to see a lot is you see a lot of people come and go. See a lot of people come and go. Some never come back, some do. But today we're going to look at a parable. I'll explain what that is in a second. We're going to look at a parable in the Bible, a story, where a son rejects his father, runs away, and how the love of the Father shined through in the end. But to get us there, um, in, in Luke 15, I've got to kind of depict a couple things. One, we're in a series called Numbers. If you've never read Numbers, you should go back and read it. It's a whole story of the people of God in the wilderness wandering around because they're, of their wickedness. And I don't know if you've ever gotten lost because you're an idiot, but today... Um, most of you probably have. You've gotten yourself in a predicament where you never thought you would end up there. And then you don't know how to get back. Well, the people of God were wandering around in the wilderness in numbers. And today I wonder how many of us are wandering. How many of us are lost. And I can tell you if you've already written off the message because you said, oh, that's not for me. And you're already making a list of the people you want to share this message with who you think are wandering and lost. I would check your own heart. You can sit in this pew and be just as wandered and lost as the person down the street. As a matter of fact, that's probably the worst place you can be. In his presence, but lost. So where are we in the story? Okay, so Jesus, everybody say Jesus. Jesus um, has dinner with this leader of the Pharisees, and they, they, the Pharisees are always trying to corner him. So they're having all these discussions. Well, the next day after this dinner, Jesus is making a trip, and the Bible tells us in Luke 14 that a whole crowd of people surround him. 
A whole crowd of people was following him. And at a certain point in this journey, we get to um, Luke 15, chapter 1, and this kind of sets the scene for us. Big crowd, Jesus walking down the road, and the the Bible says in, in chapter 15, verse 1, tax collectors and other notorious sinners, everybody say sinners, often came to listen to Jesus teach. Now look at this in verse 2, here comes the problem. This made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and even eating within them. Back then, it was a big deal when you sat down to dinner with someone. It said something about you. And so the Pharisees, um, who I'm going to explain who they are in, such a, in just a second, but Jesus has to respond to the Pharisees. In some of your versions, the, the Bible says that the Pharisees actually spoke out to him and said, who is this guy that he hangs out with sinners and even eats with them? Jesus responds to them with a parable. Now, who are the Pharisees? Pharisees are these religious folks. They're really good at crossing T's and dotting I's, but they're hateful. Yeah, just like that. <laughs> they're hateful. They just like to growl and bark, and, 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 and they pride themselves on how good they are and look down on other people. You ever known a Christian that, that, that way? I've known some. And, and Pharisees like to divide people. They had two groups of people. There were unclean people and righteous people. And so these Pharisees looked at Jesus and said, who is this guy that he's eating with such terrible people? They didn't like the associations. And so Jesus turns to them and tells them these parables. Now, what is a parable? A parable is a story. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Oftentimes, the things Jesus would say would fly right over people's heads. Have you ever done that? Have you ever said something to somebody and you're like, and so you try and rephrase it in a different way to dumb it down so they get it? Do I need to do it just right now? Uh, so Jesus would use parables and parables uh, would take an earthly situation a story and it would help them understand something and he actually tells three parables he tells three of them the first one is about some lost sheep the Bible says right in verses 8 or 3 through seven, uh, Jesus tells this story of a shepherd, and he's got a hundred sheep. One of them goes astray, okay? One of them goes astray, and so the shepherd, who represents God, Jesus, goes after the one sheep. Is that right? It's not like Shep or something I'm missing. Okay, just one sheep. Sorry, that's my new kid education. Goes, and the sheep represent us, you and I. God searches out the lost sheep, just the one. Um, sometimes this is preached as, hey, guess what? God will leave the 99 for the one, and yes, he will. 
But he was trying to get something across to the Pharisees. And you know what that was? The Pharisees didn't like the lost sheep. They said, well, they left or, or they're not worthy. They're, they're sinful. They've left. The sheep was lost. And can I tell you, a lost sheep will never find the shepherd. They say sheep are some of the dumbest animals in the world. And they will continue to get more and more lost until the shepherd, the one who takes the action. If the, if the shepherd didn't take action, the sheep would be doomed. Let me put it that way. A lot of the Pharisees thought God only accepted those who came to him the right way. Have you ever felt that way? Hey, let me get my life cleaned up and then I'll, I'll find my way back. Let, let me get my situation straight. My life is ugly right now. Let me get it all prettied up and then I can go to God. This would be what the Pharisees would preach to you. Get yourself cleaned up, then come to God. And what God is trying to say is this. One, I am going to go find the lost sheep. The sheep will not find me. And then he says this at the end of the parable. And he says, um, rejoice with me because I have found my sheep. The Pharisees had a rejoicing problem. They had a heart problem. They wanted the lost sheep to perish. Christ wanted to find the lost sheep. It was a rejoicing problem. The point of the parable is the Pharisees should be rejoicing that all these sinful people are around Jesus. They should be rejoicing, but they're not. They're bitter. They're angry because Jesus is spending time with them. The second story is very similar. So we have a lost sheep, and then we have a lost coin. I could tell you the story of my daughter Macy shoving $500 in her drawers, but I'll save that for another Sunday. Come back next week. How about lost my mind over $500, couldn't find it? Have you ever lost money? Well, that, this, is the, this is the parable here. He tells another story to kind of try and get them to understand something. He's trying to get them to understand something. This woman had 10 coins. She lost one. And, and the Bible says that she took her lamp. She cleaned up the house. And she found the coin. And then we have in this same rhythm, Jesus said, and wouldn't she rejoice with her friends? Doesn't she invite all her friends over to rejoice? Verse 10 says, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Do you see the lost, found, rejoicing rhythm of this text. So Jesus has now told two parables, and that wasn't good enough. Evidently, they were not getting it. And so he drops the hammer with this parable here about the lost son. So we had a lost sheep, we had a lost coin, and we have a lost son The hope he's trying to build at this point is there is hope for the lost. Look at your neighbor and say hope. And can I tell you, the lost one has hope, not because of themselves, but because of the one searching. Do you know God is searching? 
God is coming after you. He is looking for you. But again, the point here is rejoicing. So let's look at this story. This story is wild. You have a father, okay? The father represents God's love. And so look here in verse 11, and we're going to work our way through this story, and then we're going to close and go eat hot dogs. (laughs) To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. So we have a father, we have two sons, and the younger of the sons says to his dad, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Let me not miss here the fact that, one, the inheritance was supposed to come after the father dies, right? This was, it's, it's true today. Culturally, it would have been true back then. You didn't get that type of inheritance until after the father died. How disrespectful, how blatantly rebellious is it to say, you're only good for what you can give me. So give it to me now and I'm going to leave. This is many of our attitudes towards God. We would look at God, the creator of the universe, and we would say, hey, I just want you for your stuff. I just want you for your blessings. I just want all the good stuff. Can you just give me all that you owe me? This is the attitude we take to the father. And so this rebellious son takes his half, and we see in 13, a few days later, The younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. Doesn't tell us what the wild living is. Many of you will picture lots of just grotesque, terrible things, but can I tell you that um, many of the things in your heart that you have run away from God and done are just as wicked as some of the wickedness you're thinking of. So he runs away. He blows all his money. I just want you for your stuff. And he wandered away. He wanted out from under his dad. We've all felt that, right? Have we all felt that? Hey, I just, I want to be my own. I want to be on my own. I want to have my own authority, right? And, and in a sense, it's initially with our parents, but at some point we have to realize spiritually that what rebellion looks like is when I make myself God and try and run away from the king of glory. So he runs away. And he splurged. He goes broke. I'm not going to ask you if you've been to a casino, okay? You know why? Because you wouldn't raise your hand. You wouldn't raise your hand in church. But I'll just say this. I've hit a slot machine a time or two. 
And I'll be honest with you, seeing 620 million on the Powerball, I thought, it's time to go to the gas station. <laughs> Daddy's going to retire. You thought it too. Yes, you did. Uh-huh. And look, I'm not saying there's anything inherently wrong with some of that, but what I'm telling you is I've known many people go broke. And so just about the time this kid goes broke, he squanders all of it. He blew it all, which is probably what you would do with those $620 million. You'd blow it all. Everybody's like, no, I wouldn't. Yes, you would. No, don't. You would. And then a famine hits the land. He rebels, he runs away, takes all his money, his entire inheritance, blows it on wild living, just basically things that he shouldn't be living for. And here's what he tries to do. You know what he tries to do? You ready? He tries to find satisfaction away from his father. He is convinced. He's convinced that when I live according to my will and my wants and what I want to do, that I am ultimately going to find contentment and satisfaction. Can I tell you today that when we leave God to find satisfaction, we find that satisfaction can only be found in God? Let me tell you. I have looked all over. I have. I have looked all over. Hold on, baby. Here. Look, I'm going to get ready to close and that thing's going to go off. If you weren't here last week, watch it on YouTube. It's wild. Come back next week. Maybe something else will happen. When we leave God to find satisfaction, we find that satisfaction can only be found in God. And many of us sitting in this room today or watching online, you are still trying to find your contentment and satisfaction away from the Lord. And here's what I have found. There is nothing on this planet that doesn't run dry. There's no amount of money. There's no relationship on this earth. There's no, um, not my marriage, not my kids. There is nothing. There's no job. There is no big enough house or big enough car. There's no vacation. There is nothing that I have run to that hasn't run to an end. And then I find myself in the same spot looking for contentment. And I've only found firm, secure satisfaction and contentment. In the Lord. He never runs dry. There's an old song that says, Hallelujah, I have found him who my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longing. Does he satisfy you today? So at this point in the story, let's, let's pack out. At this point in the story, the Pharisees are listening to this story about this prodigal son, and they are disgusted. 
They are disgusted. They, they can't even fathom something like this happening. It is unthinkable. And the Bible says, let me flip on over here. In 17, he's, the Bible says, when he finally came to his senses. Can I tell you what I've been praying for today? I've been praying that some of us, whether we sit in the pew every week or this is your first time in a pew, that the Spirit of God would bring you to your senses today. That you can't do it on your own, so quit trying. You're spinning your wheels. So he comes to himself. And and what he comes to is not a, hey, I need to get back to the house or I need to get back to all the things my father has. You know what he says? When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough to spare, and here uh, I am dying of hunger, okay? Verse 18, I will go home to my father. His, you know what we want? We don't want you to come to church. We want you to come to God. The point of coming home Sunday isn't so we can get our attendance up. You know what we want? We want you encountering Jesus in a way that is life transforming. And he's the only one that will do it. Everything else is going to end up being temporary. He comes to himself and what he wants is he, he comes to this awareness of his father. He comes to an awareness of his father's care in his rebellion and disobedience in that season. What we realize is he wasn't himself. Hear me. In his rebellion and disobedience, he wasn't himself. What he came to this senses was that he belonged to the Father. His rightful place was in, in sonship with his Father. He realized very quickly that his true self, despite every self-help book and every commercial you'll watch on TV, Despite many of our friends who will tell us otherwise to look within, he comes to himself when he realizes he needs his father. And that is the coming um, to oneself that I, I have been praying for you today. So he goes to his father. In fact, he does this little rehearsal. Have you ever messed up so bad you like rehearse the I'm sorry speech? Whew. First accident I ever had was in Hopewell. And it was, it was one of those, it's a tricky one, okay? It's a, it's a tricky situation. It was a, I was in the turn lane. I was going to turn left. And the light was blinking this yellow signal, right? <clears throat> I'd just gotten a brand new truck, GMC Sonoma. Oh, I was riding. It was good. In fact, we were leaving church. And I had invited my friend to church. He was in the back. And there's that blinking yellow light. I'm like, all right, time to go. And I start to turn. And I realize somebody has changed lanes and is in the straightaway lane. You know what that means? I was supposed to yield. Boy, he careened into the side of my truck. Brand new truck. Big old dent in the side. And I remember sitting in the intersection Running through my mind, what am I going to tell my mother? (laughs) It's brand new. 
So I began running that speech through my mind. He runs his speech. He says, okay, here's what I'm going to say to my dad. Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy. Everybody say worthy. To being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. I got my speech ready. And you can already tell in his speech that the Lord has changed his heart from life to death. You know why? Because his worthiness level has shifted. He realizes, I am not worthy. God, my father doesn't owe me anything. Rehearses the speech. I've oftentimes punished Macy, send her up to her room, and then I'll hear her in there. Look, my daughter's got a mouth on her. Let me tell you, she is so smart. And I'll hear one of two conversations when I go upstairs to pull her out of her room. One, and this, this, is, this, this is when she's really mad. She'll be sitting in her bed, kind of just, you know, all slumped over, upset because she got in trouble. And she'll just, she'll be giving me what for, up and down. She, no, no one's in the room. She's just talking to herself. That daddy of mine, just grumbling. And, oh, I want to pop through there and show her what I raised up with, with discipline, but I don't. And, and, but a lot of times, in fact, I would say most of the time, I'll hear her rehearsing how she can apologize to dad, how she can apologize to mom. And I think all of us should have a moment that we remember. And can I tell you, mine are as soon as yesterday. As soon as this morning, as I laid before the Lord and praying for you and what God was going to do in your heart here, laying before him saying, I am not worthy. I don't deserve the grace and mercy that you give me. What is your posture today? He rehearses it. The Bible says, so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, this is so good. If you underline in your Bible or highlight, I want you to highlight while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Let me tell you, let me pause. We're about to get into the good part. At this point in the story, to remind you, Jesus is addressing the Pharisees, okay? He's trying to communicate something to them, and there's an entire multitude, a crowd, listening in. And when he gets to this point, as disgusted as these Pharisees would have been, you know where their mind would have gone? They're Pharisees. They're Jews. You know what that means? They have memorized the Pentateuch. Oh, let me tell you what the Pentateuch is. The first five books of the Bible, they memorize word for word. <clears throat> and in Deuteronomy, the very last of those five books, as Jesus is telling this story about this rebellious son, these Pharisees who cross T's and dot I's would go right to the letter. And they would go to Deuteronomy 21, 19, and, or 18, and it says this. Suppose a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father. 
Verse 19, in such a case, the father and mother must take the son to the elders and hold him, uh, hold the court at the town gate. The parents must say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious and refuses to obey. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Now watch this. Verse 21, then all the men of his town must stone him to death. In this way, you'll purge the evil from among you and all Israel will hear about it and be afraid. This is where the Pharisees' minds are. They're thinking, hey, in this story, the way this should end is the whole town's gonna get together and stone that boy. That father should take him and stone him and kill him. Let's go back. Verse 20 of chapter 15 of Luke. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Can I tell you, why would the father have seen him coming? Because he was looking for him. He was waiting. I can see him on the front porch just gazing out down that long road, waiting. There was an anticipation. He's waiting on him. And then the Bible says, filled with love. And imagine how this goes over with the crowd here, these Pharisees. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. There's still one part left, right? He rehearsed his speech. You know what it was? Just bring me on as one of your hired servants. But before he can even get it out of his mouth, you see this father who has run to meet him, is kissing him and hugging him. He interrupts him and says, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring, put it on his finger, sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. Now watch, 24, for this son of mine was dead and now has now returned to life he was lost and now he is found so the party began do you see the rhythm here lost found rejoicing lost found rejoicing lost found rejoicing i can imagine I don't think this is too huge of a leak, but I'll tell you what I like to imagine. Why did the father run to meet him? Because it was odd. Men of age and prominence like that wouldn't run. People came to them. They don't go there. People come to them. And this father takes off running. I can just imagine with these Pharisees listening that the point of him running to meet him is more than just him going to the lost one, but almost a, hey, let me make sure the town doesn't stone him. Let me make sure no one comes against him. I'm going to him. Rejoicing over the one. Rejoicing over the one. This story has a real weird curve at the end. 
the older son shows up. So we've got the father representing God's love, right? We've got the young son that represents you and I, and then we have the older brother. The older brother represents the Pharisees. Oh, talk about dropping the hammer. Jesus turns, look right at the Pharisees. He said, look, here's the older brother. Meanwhile, the older brother was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard the music and dancing. And he asked one of the servants uh, what was going on. And the servant said, your brother's back. And your father's killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. And what does the older brother do? He becomes angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. And, but he replied, all these years, the older brother said, How's this for a whiny legalist? All these years I've slaved for you. Never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And all that time you never gave me one young goat to feed all my friends. He's throwing a fit. He's throwing a fit. Yet when this son of yours comes back and squanders your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. No room for grace, full of self-righteousness and judgment. And you know what we can tell right off the bat? This brother never left home, but never had a relationship with the father. He wasn't involved in the planning. He had no idea what was going on. He was completely aloof. You know why? He had no relationship with his father. None. And then you see the father's response. Look, dear son, in the, in the Hebrew, it's my child. Even in this moment, don't, don't overlook the grace of the father here. Because this older son basically said, look at me, talking to his dad all respect, disrespectful and whatnot. Look at what I've done. And you've never rejoiced over me like this. The father's response, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost. Now he was found. So where's the ending? Where's the ending to this story? Fun fact. And I don't know if you've ever wondered this. The story kind of ends. Have you ever watched TV? Or they do this really on The Voice a lot. You ever watch The Voice? You know what I'm saying? They're about to pick a judge. They're about to find out what happens. And then they go to commercial break. It's so irritating. Thank God for DVR. I just fast forward. In Jewish tradition, in storytelling, it, it's broken out in stanzas, okay? And usually it's an eight-part deal. This particular ending stops at number seven. This particular story, Jesus cuts off at number seven. And I've often wondered why. Why is there no resolution 
to this older son showing up. Everybody's inside partying. He showed up to the house celebrating going on. The father's pleading with the older son, pleading with these Pharisees. Do you see what's going on here? He's pleading with them. You've been here the whole time. It's yours if you want it. And so if I were to give you an end to this story, now don't don't add this to scripture. This is just what I would have written to number eight here would have been this. The father has looked at his son and said, hey, we had to celebrate this. He was dead. Now he's alive. He was lost. Now he's found. And then here, here would be my, the ending I would choose. Upon hearing this, the older brother picked up a piece of wood and beat his father to death in front of everyone. That was the response of the older brother. You know why I wrote, well, you know why the story ends that way? Because in just a few short months, that older brother, those Pharisees would take a piece of wood and hang Christ on it for you and I. That's how the story ends. The story ends at the cross. The story ends at the cross. And at the cross is the beginning of life. For you and I. With all his anger, even in the scriptures, we see the Pharisees say, hey, his blood is on our hands. They were proud of it. They were ready to go. And they killed him. They put him on a cross. The love of God on display for you and I. As we close today and we get ready to leave, I want you to do something. One, the call of salvation, according to that story, is extended to two types of people. The extreme reprobate the extreme sinner and the extreme legalist and everywhere in between. You know where you fall on that chart? In there, somewhere. This grace, this love that was poured out, I can just imagine this father's love. He sees you from afar off. And as we sang today, My heart has been in your sights long before my first breath. He sees you. He is waiting on you. And today, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you to lay it down today. Turn from your ways and acknowledge him. Stop running from him. 
He's looking for you. His heart desires your reconciliation. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. You don't have to get cleaned up. You don't have to uh, rehearse your speech. He's waiting. I could, I could lead you today in the sinner's prayer. I could. But what I'd rather you do is this. Because it's not, it's not the specific prayer that saves you. It's the Lord that saves you. So just give him what you got. I want you, every head bowed and every eye closed, whether you're the extreme legalist that Christ is inviting in or you're the extreme reprobate and you think your sins can't be covered, I can tell you today that his blood is sufficient. The cross was more than enough. And Christ is asking you to come home. He's asking you to return. He's asking you, today is the day of your salvation. Today, this is the moment. And so I, I'm not going to lead you in a specific prayer. I just want you to give the Lord what you've got. Tell him, Father, I can't do it on my own. I am unable to save myself. Would you wrap me in your loving arms? Would you run to him today? Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA, located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.